So, you know what really sucks? What? Is the kind of week that we had last week for our audio. <laughs> yeah. And so we're re-recording this one, <laughs> which sucks because... This is a sucky case. It's really sucky. It is probably one of my least favorite episodes ever, and it's an episode that I brought. And so... Ugh. I know. At least the mob one, we only had to do like... 20 minutes of. I know. So I don't know what the hell happened. I think it was maybe our microphones or something. Like, I don't know, but we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, because it still time clicked. It was like said that it was there. It was recording. It just, there was no audio. Right. Scott and Ryan are IT guys. Come on, step it up. Come on. Annoying. I mean, I guess we've been doing this since March and Uh, (laughs) we should know (laughs) by now. We haven't had this happen yet. So, right. But I'm telling you, if any other ones for the rest of the year happen like this, because I'm bringing some dark ass cases. Yeah. So I, you just might not hear for us for the rest of the month. Uh, if, that <laughs> if that happens again, yeah, we're going back to basics now with our first mics because we're like, yeah, okay, maybe we aren't going to like, and we even check to make sure. I don't know how those, I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know what the hell happened there. But at any rate, we're, we apologize for that. So, but we're, re, we're going to re record it because it's a story that I want told. Ugh. Even though it sucks and it, it sucks does freaking so suck. It's, it's a case that it's one of the saddest ones I've ever written. It was actually supposed to be a Patreon episode, just a short whatever one. And then I went down the rabbit hole and I was like, this one makes my heart hurt. This Feeling one hurts my heart on so many different levels. Defeated already. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. You've got to sit through it all, all over again. So if you're traumatized by the end of this, be us having to do it twice. Yeah, it sucks. Well, three times for Tracy because she had to do the research. But. Yeah, sorry about it, guys. Sorry, 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 sorry. So I don't, here we are. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, every podcaster has to. Every podcaster has these issues. Mm-hmm. Most people catch it before they freaking publish it, but not us. Yeah, that's I mean, we've said this a million times. We don't edit, so. Yeah, we don't edit. We just, we. You get us raw. You get us raw. Unfiltered. And all, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. Take three. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is the suspended sentence. <laughs> She's so perky. I'm like, I don't even want to say this. I'm trying to be positive. Okay, this is the story of Shelly Mina Dushkis Danish Gifts. Oh my gosh. Starting you think strong. after the third time, she know how to Dan- say it. Danish Shifiski. Yeah. I mean, you only have to say that name Jeez. Like once, so that's fine. I'm just going to call her Shelly, okay, y'all? Shelly. Yeah. She was born on July 13th, 1962 to parents Joel, who was a butcher and a rabbi, and her mother, who was a homemaker. The couple had three other children, Philip, Eve, and Josh. At three years old, Shelly was burnt by boiling water that left permanent scars on her neck and her chest, which she was very, very self-conscious about her entire childhood. So she would wear like long sleeve shirts all the time to cover it because she was so self-conscious about it. She suffered from binge eating, a binge eating disorder as her way to cope with those insecurities, which led to significant weight gain, um, which added to her level of self-consciousness. Her academics suffered and she was not as successful in school as her siblings were. But in college, she really focused on her weight and she did lose a lot which increased her confidence and her success. 
She dated quite a bit in college, but nothing of real significance. After college, after she graduated from college, her father encouraged her to go into finance, which she did. She took a job at UBS with one of her brothers, and she quickly became very successful in wealth management. It was here that she met a man who was 11 years younger than she was by the name of Roderick Kovlin. They met at a Jewish singles event. She was 35. He was 24. Rod was a stock trader and a professional backgammon player. Who the hell's backgammon? I don't fucking know. When they met, <laughs> when they met though, they were so smitten by each other that they wanted to like elope that night. The only reason that they didn't was because Eve, Shelley's big sister, and her best friend advised against it. But just a couple months later, they did get married. They I mean, would. I guess if you know, when you know, you know. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to have good commentary right now. I, <laughs> they would have a daughter named Anna two years into their marriage. Shelly was an amazing mother. She and Anna were inseparable. A while later, they conceived twins. Shelly was over the moon about this. But the twins were born prematurely, and sadly, they passed away. Oh, Shelly would not be able to bear any more children after this. She wanted another child so bad, though, and that loss was so significant to her that that she conceived another child by donor egg. Okay. This was a very costly experience. During the majority of this marriage, Rod had intermediate work, and she was the breadwinner by all accounts. She did very, very well financially for their family, and this treatment, again, was very, very costly. She paid for it. Yeah. Um, and this treatment did result in their son, Miles, who was born in 2006. Rod and Shelley's marriage somehow went from wonderment, though, to absolute hell. Rod refused to get a real full-time job, went to the gym twice a day, and just laid around the house spending Shelley's money. Okay, mm, love to see it. Rod also turned very verbally abusive to Shelley, oftentimes telling her, you can't even have a child. What a fucking dick. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. she can. She has one, and she gave you twins. They just right. passed. Right, right. Um, but he would be like, you can't, even have a tw- you can't even have babies. Miles isn't even yours. Like, he was a dick. He was an asshole. And he even took that a step further, though, and would taunt Miles, telling him that Shelly wasn't even really his mom. Okay, so stand-up guy. Right. Shelly also began having an affair with a woman named Barbara Oles. Shelly did? Not Shelly. Rod, I'm sorry. Like, oh, man. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Go, girl. Getting a little freaky. Right. No, no. Rod did. Rod, because he didn't have anything freaking better to do. He just sat around all day. Sit went to the gym. Dick, and so Right. Might as well put it to use. Right. Oh, oh that man. was a good punchline. Damn. Jesus. Samantha. <laughs> so he meets Barbara Oles. She is a married mother of three. Oh, fantastic. And where did they meet? Backgammon tournament. Oh, I didn't say the bar. No. <laughs> Worse. Backgammon tournament. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Anyway. So Rod, after 10 years of marriage, tells Shelly, hey, let's have an open marriage. Hmm. I'm- he doesn't want to leave the money, but he doesn't want to like right. be with her anymore. He wants to be with everybody, apparently. She's like, yeah, No. Absolutely not. That's not what I signed up for. We have children. We have a family. We have a life. No, I don't want to do that. And no, you're not going to do that. 
But she works all the time. And so he just goes and does whatever the fuck he wants, right? Literally. So one night after Rod comes home early one morning, smelling like a woman's perfume, Shelly finally had had enough and told him to get out. Good for her. She wants a divorce. But, but she didn't want the kids to suffer. So wanting him to stay close to the kids for an easy transition for them, she got him, because he's broke ass, she got him an apartment across the hall from theirs. Hmm. So she changes the locks on her luxury upstate apartment in Manhattan, and they were officially in separate spaces. How much that probably freaking cost her? A ton of money. Absolutely. And she's paying his way, and he's not working. Cute. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what. Yeah, what a, what a man. What a man. Now, Rod now realizes that not only is he losing his wife and complete all-the-time access to his children, but now he's losing access to the money. To her bank account. Like, yeah, she's paying for your upscale luxury apartment, but, I mean, she's not going to buy you groceries and pay for your gym membership and, you know, pay for dates for you to go out with right. other women, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he had really gone, like, grown accustomed to having whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. And now, with the exception of Shelly funding his apartment, right, he was completely cut off. So he wants her back. Of course he does. Of course. And she wanted absolutely no part of that at all. Blame her. She's like, no, you made your choice. Now go. Get. Be gone. Which fucks with his psyche a little bit, right? Yeah. So now he begins watching her apartment, hacking into her email and checking it, following her, watching her every single move. And what he saw, now <laughs> now that he wasn't there holding her back, is that her success was absolutely skyrocketing. She was gaining more clients and climbing the ladder of ultimate power and success at work. He also noticed that men were drawn to her, that she really wasn't this piece of shit, worthless fucking whatever that he was telling her that she was, that she was actually pretty cool and men saw that and men wanted to be with her. Yeah. He became absolutely obsessed with destroying her. That seems healthy. He calls her work and told them that she was doing drugs and stealing their money. Her employer, I mean, they were like, yeah, okay, whatever, but it's an allegation, so we've got to look into it. So her employer drug tests her, and duh, she's clean. She's not. But it created, like, some pretty significant drama in her workplace. Which is, like, almost as bad. Right, yeah. Like, nobody wants to be that girl at work, especially a powerful woman in a man's business. Absolutely. Um, but she actually got promoted. Oh, okay. Get it, girl. Absolutely. That, that goes to show, like, how, bad like, she is. regardless of what was going on at home and in her personal life, like... The bitch freaking showed up and freaking, I mean, killed it. And she did great. I just called her a bitch like she was my girlfriend. Yeah. A bitch, got it. She did, though. Like, she, she owned it. Yeah. She didn't let it hold her down or anything. Um, so she becomes VP. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. She does great, despite everything that, everything that he's trying to do to her. But that just makes him more desperate. Right? So he becomes so desperate to hurt her that he went as far as to take their three-year-old son to the emergency room and made him tell them that Shelly was sexually abusing him. Oh, cute. Okay. Love that. That investigation also ended very badly for Rod. Okay. 
The courts now get involved because that's what happens when you take a three-year-old to the hospital and say somebody's sexually abusing them is social services and DFS or CPS or whatever get involved and open a case. The court gets involved and the courts did that. And for doing this, Rod now has to have supervised visitation only with his children. I mean, yeah. Right. So in the midst of a bitter, intense divorce and custody battle now, right, Shelly is like, okay, I probably need to handle this money thing. Like this isn't, there isn't going to be a reconciliation. So she changes her 401 beneficiaries to her children rather than Rod at work, obviously. Yeah. And then she sends her an attorney an email asking him to change her will out of his name just to the children. Right, which I mean is a normal thing post-divorce. Absolutely. But she also adds a line in there that says that she's really beginning to be afraid that Rod is going to kill her. Mm -hmm. Because he's just taking things to a level that's like... To a completely different level. Right. Like, dude, you're the one that was cheating. You're the one that was doing this. And now we're getting divorced. I'm giving you what you want. And now you're trying to destroy me. Like, what? What do you want? Like, just go away, right? Like, be done. Right. wanted to be done, be done. Right. She requested in that email to make her children her sole beneficiary of her over $5 million estate. Oh, shit. And take Rod completely off of it. Again, a normal thing to do. Absolutely. Do, do, do. Two days later. Okay. It's 7.04 a.m. on December 31st, 2009, when nine-year-old Anna Kovlin frantically calls her father on the phone. The little girl had just found her mother, face down in the bathtub, full of bloody water. Oh, man. He rushes across the hallway into their home and he pulls his wife's lifeless body out of the bathtub and begins performing CPR. He calls 911 and they instruct him to continue CPR while help is on the way. But it will do no good. The millionaire has been dead for hours. Police and ambulance arrive four minutes after the 911 call for is placed. For a big city, that's quite the like turnaround time. Right. She had scratches on her face, cheeks, and a small purple bruise on the bottom of her lip. One of the closet cabinets in the bathroom was partially off the hinges, you know, like as though somebody had grabbed it and pulled it like halfway off. Yeah. The medical examiner immediately wanted an autopsy done, but because of her Jewish background, the family opposed it for religious reasons. Right. Um, And they believed that it was an accident, that she had tripped and she had fallen. And that's why the cu- the cupboard was off the hmm. was off the wall, halfway off. The medical examiner, however, believed that she was killed. Yeah, and he spoke to the chief medical examiner three different times, trying to get him to overrule the family's wishes, but he was unsuccessful. And she was buried twenty four hours after her death. Oh wow! Yeah, I think they have to have like quick burials. Yeah, but the medical examiner would not give up. He placed enough doubt in the family's mind that they actually hired a private investigator who collected all kinds of evidence, such as her, such as her eyes were bloodshot, the fact that Shelly didn't take baths, particularly because the day before she had gotten a carotene hair straightening treatment. Mm. It's like some like legally blonde shit there. Right. But when you get those treat those um, straightening treatments, like 
you can't get your hair wet. You can't even sweat. Like you can't, like she wouldn't be getting in the bathtub. If you don't know what I mean by that in Legally Blonde when she's like, it's a murder victim and she's like, I just got a perm and then I was in the shower and she's like, yeah. really? Because if you just got a perm, you weren't washing your hair because your treatment wouldn't work. So right. you, a woman wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and now it is two months later. And finally, her body is exhumed and the autopsy is done. The result shows that her hyoid bone in her throat had been broken. She had been strangled. This is now a homicide. But it's been two months. Two months since police first said that it was accidental death. They did no investigation. They took no fingerprints. They took no DNA. They interviewed no neighbors. Nothing. They didn't do anything. They even allowed the family's rabbi to clean the bathroom with peroxide, eliminating any blood evidence. It's religious, uh, though. Yeah. Right? And it will take five more years before prosecution, prosecutors have enough evidence to prosecute anyone. Wow. Because that much evidence had been destroyed and so little police work had been done. Right. Because if you think it's an accident, they don't... I think that that should be, like, a standard. I feel like either way you should have to do, like, an investigation. Oh, me too. Because you never know. We have so many of these cases where it's like, oh, they thought it was accidental, and then 10 years later they were like, oh, Oh, maybe it's not. So, like, just dust the little area. Just do the work in the beginning. Take a couple pictures. Right. Interview some neighbors. Talk to some people. Right. So, in the meantime, there's still this court order, right, that says that Rod has to have supervised visits with his kids. Next to a shitty human being. Right. So that so the, the court gives temporary custody of the kids to Rod's parents who lived in New York. Mm. There were strict rules in place of even what communication would look like between the kids and Rod. And his parents agree with the court order, and so they become legal guardians. Now... Although Shelly had sent that email to her attorney regarding her will, she died before she could sign any paperwork. But her lawyer immediately files court papers to challenge the will and places Shelly's $5.37 million of assets in a trust until it could be sorted out in court. I think that there should be, like, amendments to that law, too, of it came from her personal email... But there isn't like, verification of who sent it, even though it is. And he, he, they know that he was getting into her email. Right, but to take He wouldn't do off, that. He wouldn't right. be taking himself off of it. Right, right. He wouldn't say, oh, I think she, he's going to kill me. Right, no. No, but you don't have evidence of who sent the email, yeah, right? But as the will currently sits, Rod would get half of the money and the other half would be split between the two girls, or between the two children. All of this pisses Rod off. All of it. And he continues to be super irrational and honestly, like, downright nasty. Okay. I mean, even more so than... I was say, can this guy get worse? Oh, no, he can. He can. He attempted to man- manipulate his parents into giving him the kids, which they refused. He would have outbursts of yelling, calling constantly, harassing the shit out of them. Finally, his parents had to get an actual restraining order to get it to stop. No shit. Yeah. But his main focus was what? The kids. The money. Money. Always money. The money. Money. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. In 2011, Shelly's family actually filed a wrongful death suit against him, claiming that he killed her. I could not find any, like, what happened with that. I don't know what happened with that. 
But Rod <clears throat> wanted his money so badly that he actually made plans to kill his own parents. Oh, that's a rational right. thing to do. Yeah, he seems sane. Right, because the court's not just going to put him in foster care or put him somewhere else, right? Like, I mean, he's an idiot on so many levels. Yeah. But anyway, what he was going to do was he was going to, he was going to use sugar laced with rat poisoning. And he had conjured up three separate plots to murder them, including ambushing his own mother, his own mom. Jesus Christ. So his married girlfriend, Deborah, remember mm-hmm. her? Yeah. She picks Rod up one day and, dri- and drives him to a Yonkers costume warehouse where he purchased a black man's wig and makeup to pose as an election canvasser. He wanted to drive to his parents' house when he knew his mother was going to be home. And when she opened the door, he was going to karate chop her in the throat and then kill her. Disguised. Like she's not so going to know. is he fucking like karate kid now? Or what the fuck? He was a black belt in... Oh, Mar- yeah. okay. You left he, that out. Was he like, was. <laughs> my idea of that was way funnier than him. <laughs> no, he actually was trained in martial arts. But oh, anyway, okay, Deborah says that she stopped this murder plot by not agreeing to go with him. Because, well, whatever. Murdering his parents wasn't working for him, right? So he resorted back to the same plan that he did before that didn't work for him, that backfired on him, right? He told Anna, who's 10, 10, to accuse her grandfather of rape and instructed her on how to break her own hymen to fabricate proof. I hate this so much. He tells his 10-year-old daughter how to break her own hymen and accuse her father of, or grandfather of raping her. His father. His father. Who's caring for her, who's taking care of her, who's keeping her out of the foster care system, who loves her, who, all of this shit, just for some money. For money. Yeah. Obviously, Anna is mortified by the idea And she refuses to do it, right? Everything that this man tries to do to get the money is not working for him, which is pissing him off. Just Mm -hmm. making him more mad, right? Right. But the police are watching him. They're following him. They're asking about him. They're building a case against him. And he just keeps giving them more. Mm. Then this note surfaces. Quote, All of these years, I have been so incredibly afraid and guilty about the night my mother died. I lied. She didn't just slip. That day we got into a fight about her dating. I got mad. So I pushed her. But I couldn't have pushed her that hard. I didn't mean to hurt her, I swear. But she fell. And I I heard a terrible noise. And the water started turning red. And I tried to pull her head up. But she remained still. Unquote. This confession was written in June of 2013... It was in the form of an Apple note that synced to the email address of then nine-year-old Anna. Do nine-year-olds use words like, but she remained still? Not any nine-year-olds that I know. We got in a fight about her dating. I, this, this is not... How a child writes. This is not how a... I have a 10-year-old. My 10-year-old would be like, yeah, that dude came over and I was pissed. You know what I mean? Like, they don't use words like this. They don't... It was not her. 
It was not her. And apparently this was enough for the police. Like everybody had had enough of this man with that note. And he was finally arrested and charged with second degree murder. Hmm. Two months before he would have inherited half of his wife's fortune, which would have been two and a half million dollars. Jesus Christ. Trial begins. Okay. Jurors were shown gruesome crime scene photos of Shelly's nude body on her bathroom floor with her long blonde hair soaked with blood. Shelly is positioned on her back with her left arm covering her left breast. Her eyes are closed, her mouth is slightly open, and there are bright red scratches on her face. A comforter covers her legs and a pair of maroon pants is balled up near her head. A child's training potty floats in the tub, which is still half filled with blood tinted water. Did you get a visual there? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know about you, but if my kid's piss-filled training potty <laughs> I'm not getting is in the that bathtub, <laughs> that bathtub is thoroughly cleaned. I don't care that you're putting water or whatever, soap, whatever. And there wouldn't be a floating potty still in the bathtub if I'm about to take a relaxing bath. No. No. So, red flag one. Fire department... From New York, Lieutenant Matthew Casey testifies in court that he and other firemen were the first on the scene after responding to the 911 call. Okay. He said that she had been dead a while. Another firefighter, William Ricks, told jurors that, quote, he grabbed her by the wrist and tried to pull, it, pull her away, but the wrist was locked. So she's in rigor mortis. Mm-hmm. Rod told arriving police officer William Irwin that his daughter found her mom in the tub and ran to his apartment across the hall where he had been living, right? So did she call or did she go over there? Right. Right? Rod said that he pulled Shelly from the lukewarm water, covered her with a comforter, and then performed CPR. Wait, wait, wait. There's more. (laughs) Assistant DA Matthew Bogdanus asked Irwin whether he had noticed anything unusual about Rod's clothing. And he said, yes, they were dry. They were completely dry. He said that Rod was wearing a white t-shirt and a pair of sweats, which had no blood whatsoever on them. Okay. Red flag number two. Okay. So if we're in such bad rigor mortis that her wrists aren't moving, the rest of her body is locked up too. Correct. So it is not possible for do. a person mm-hmm. wearing a white t-shirt and a pair of probably gray sweatpants. All guys wear gray sweatpants. That's I know. Another topic for another day. Pulling her out of a pool of water isn't going to be... You'd, it would be hard to get her out of the... Out. It'd be hard. And you would be covered in blood and water because and... Because she'd be so stiff, you would have to, like, pick her entire being up. It wouldn't be, like, pulling her out really easy. No. Also, and in addition, from the time the 911 call was made to the time that they were there and in that apartment was four minutes. So in four minutes, he got her stiff body out, covered her, went into her bedroom, I imagine, to get a comforter, came back, did, and performed bullshit. Right. Bullshit. Calming your daughter down, 
I mean, the whole, all of it. Like, no, because that kid had to be hysterical. Right. Right? Okay, so anyway, on uh, cross-examination, defense lawyer grilled Irwin about whether or not he had asked Colvin Rod if his clothes were wet or suggested that he take them off for analysis. And he said, no, I didn't. Great. Because they immediately said that it was an accident, that it wasn't a murder, right? The state called many, many witnesses who testified as to what they knew about Shelley and their relationship with Rod. But some of the most daunting testimony came from his girlfriends, Rod's girlfriends. Mm-hmm. On the stand. They never just have one. No, 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 no. On the stand, though, that Barb said that Rod wanted to kill his parents, that two people standing in the way of his children and the money. He had multiple plots, she claimed. First, he schemed to break into the parents' home in the middle of the night, kill them, and take the children when the, and light the home on fire. Then he considered putting rat poison in their tea, for which he would need Anna's help. And she says she talked him out of all of those. But she says, and this is a quote, we were driving in the car and he said to me, you have to help me kill my parents. I refused, adding that if you kill them, you'll kill me too. He said, he, Rod said, quote, no, I only want to kill people who try to take my children from me. The prosecutor also entered into evidence a 2009 letter to Eve, the sister, where Shelley says, quote, oh, no, Eve says, I'm sorry. Eve says, quote, I'm very scared that at some point in the future, all of his anger and rage may result in something very bad happening to you. She writes that to her sister. So like we said, Rod had another girlfriend. Obviously, he has several, right? And she also testified against him in court. And she testified during the trial about his intense rage. Her name was Patricia Swenson. And she testified in court that he told her that he wanted to kill his wife or have her die before Shelley died. Cute. And all throughout this trial, his parents fucking stood behind him. Even after hearing all these plots that he was going to kill them? As did his kids. I hate this so much. Both of the kids asked for leniency in their father's case during the sentencing. Miles was 12 at the time of the hearing. And he told the Supreme Court, quote, please give him a light sentence so I can have him back in my life. I love him so much. He said that he believed that his father was innocent, as did Anna, who also asked the judge for a lighter sentence. The judge, though, was completely unmoved and disturbed by Rod's lack of remorse and emotion whatsoever during the trial. When she gave him a chance to speak, this is what he said. Quote, luckily, my daughter, who was there that night, knows the truth. She's the only one who could. Unquote. Luckily, luckily, my daughter was there. Luckily, my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, found her dead mom. Luckily. What kind of father says that? Seriously. Luckily. I hate this man. I hate this case. The jury deliberated for almost two days. Why? What took you so long to figure out? Right. Almost two days before coming back with a guilty verdict. At least there's that. Right. Shelly's family all holding on to each other in the courtroom, all of them in tears, obviously. 
When the verdict was read, Rod hung his head and closed his eyes. The first ounce of almost emotion shown in nine years. Right. A month after his second degree murder conviction, which was in March of 2019, Rod was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, which is the maximum sentence. He is serving his sentence in the Green Haven Correctional Facility, where he was admitted on May 6, 2019. State records show that the early, earliest he is eligible for parole is May 2040. He maintains his innocence. Of course. Of course he does. They always do. Yep. He has appealed multiple times, and each time the application is denied. Good. The kids lead mostly private lives and seldom publicly speak about their mother's death. Anna, like I said, supported her father when his legal team challenged his conviction. And in 2022, she wrote a letter to the district attorney's office stating the following, quote, my mother's death was a tragic accident. I think about it every day and it will forever weigh on my heart, but there's nothing that can be done. She's gone. I have to live with it and learn to accept it. But I have another father, a loving, kind, creative, caring, hardworking father, unquote. Anna also says, though, quote, I was in my mother's apartment and my father was not there until I unlocked the door in the morning. New York State took away my dad's freedom. My dad is not a murderer. Anna also shares her version of events from the day her mother died and sincerely defends Rod's actions. Now she's in her 20s, and she has seemingly changed her name, but still resides in the same place and works as a gymnastics coach. Miles is still a minor and prefers to stay away from the public eye. He likely still lives with his grandparents and sister. Nevertheless, both siblings stand in their support of their father and hope that his imprisonment will end soon. It's so sad because <laughs> for so many reasons. Like I get it. Sure. Okay, so in their brains they're like they were really young. They're probably like we've lost they've they've lost both of their parents. You bet. They have. Even though Rod's a fucking flaming pile of shit. Absolutely. That I hope gets rectal cancer and dies. Mm-hmm. But a painful, slow, painful death. Absolutely. Um there was, I don't have words. I don't I know. have words. There was one point that he had a plot to have Anna fake kidnapped. He would kidnap her and made arrangements to sell her in Mexico for the, the money that she inherited. Like, he's a piece of shit. But I also, I also wonder, like... We don't know how much brainwashing went on. Absolutely. We don't know. Absolutely. Memories are so, especially with children, memories are so um, impressionable. Yeah. But it's heartbreaking because it kind of, it diminishes like their mother. Absolutely. But at the same time, like I, in a fucked up way, I get it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, fuck. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I still hope he gets rectal cancer. <laughs> that story like i <clears throat> it's horrible like not only did he cheat on her was abusive to her then killed her and after just beautiful. trying to oh yeah she, after trying to destroy her life then he kills her then he 
tries to frame his own kid, tries tries to to kill his his parents. Both of his kids to say that they're being molested and raped. Right. I mean, this guy is like the ultimate. So I tried to diagnose him, Mm -hmm. which is so not fair to do. And I shouldn't, you you can't do that because it's all one-sided information, right? Mm -hmm. But I couldn't diagnose him, but I did try. Or your theories? Um, narcissist. Narcissist, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because of his lack of remorse and, and just, like, feeling towards anybody or empathy towards anybody, including his family. Then I thought maybe, like, above the skyline for antisocial, um, which probably is true. But he didn't have, like, the brain capacity to follow through on any of it. Yeah. So, I mean, usually antisocial people are smart and they know how to carry it out. Um. I mean, maybe like a personality disorder, but this is the bottom line. Like, I think that some people are just fucking pieces of shit. Shitty people. And his sense of entitlement and like, he really is just acting like a spoiled fucking brat. Yeah. She was way too good for him and she took way too good of care of him. Yeah. And she is like, like we'll post pictures, but I mean, she's, she was beautiful, beautiful woman. Oh Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And he's, I mean, a vile, whatever. disgusting human if being. If Anna and Miles would like to talk to us, we would love to talk to you, like for real. Um, but I'll keep my opinions to myself. Yeah. Um, but they are, I mean, absolutely horrific story. So sad. So sad so in so sad. many ways. So many ways. And his parents. Okay, I can get the kids. I can understand the kids. I don't understand the parents. Right. Yeah, and just that they thought that everybody, everybody was lying about their son. Not one person, not two, not three. Multiple people got up there right. and was like, he has plots to murder you. Right. And th- their own granddaughter. I mean, they, everybody chooses him over everything else. Over common sense, over, I mean, everything else. So it's absolute, it's wild. That man so is, uh, I don't even know. I don't wild. even know. Vile. And clearly, like, they had to have understood, like, the parents, too. Because, like, they got a restraining order against him. So they knew he was a little fucking crazy. They had to have. You, as a parent, aren't just like, I think I need to get a restraining order because he's acting pretty crazy. Unless you know he's kind of fucking crazy. I don't know. Parents can make a lot of excuses for a lot of bullshit, I suppose. I don't know. Not me, man. Okay, I swear to everything good in this world, if this fucking episode doesn't come out i'm burning this house to the ground okay. we're not gonna do it again we're not recording it again i will burn your if house it, down if it doesn't you're, you're not gonna burn my house down i mean I'll make, sure, I'll make sure you guys are out See, of the house he wanted to do i will you, burn your house you just, down. i will go rod on your ass and fucking poison your tea your starbucks no if it doesn't post this time clearly we're not supposed to tell the story Literally. i don't know i don't know well thanks for joining us guys thanks guys stay safe so, you know what really sucks? What? Is the kind of week that we had last week for our audio. <laughs> yeah. And so we're re-recording this one, <laughs> which sucks because... This is a sucky case. It's really sucky. It is probably one of my least favorite episodes ever, and it's an episode that I brought. And so... Ugh. I know. At least the mob one, we only had to do like... 20 minutes of I know so I don't know what the hell happened I think it was maybe our microphones or something like I don't know but we're not doing that anymore yeah because it still time clicked 
it was like sedative that it was there. It was recording. It just, there was no audio. Right. Scott and Ryan are IT guys. Come on, step it up. Come on. Annoying. I mean, I guess we've been doing this since March and uh, <laughs> we should know by we now. We haven't had this happen yet. So, right. But I'm telling you, if any other ones for the rest of the year happen like this, because I'm bringing some dark ass cases. Yeah. So, I, you just might not hear for us for the rest of the month. Uh, if, <laughs> if that happens again, yeah. We're going back to basics now with our first mics because we're like, yeah, okay, maybe we aren't going to like. And we even check to make sure. I don't know how those, I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know what the hell happened there, but at any rate, we we apologize for that. So, but we're re, we're gonna re-record it because it's a story that I want told, Ugh. even though it sucks and it, it sucks does freaking so suck. Bad. It's it's a case that it's one of the saddest ones I've ever written. It was actually supposed to be a Patreon episode, just a short, whatever one, and then I went down the rabbit hole and I was like, this one makes my heart hurt. This Feeling one hurts my heart on so many different levels. Defeated already. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. You've got to sit through it all, all over again. So if you're traumatized by the end of this, be us having to do it twice. Yeah, it sucks. Well, three times for Tracy because she had to do the research. But. Yeah, sorry about it, guys. Sorry, 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 sorry. So I don't, here we are. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, every podcaster has to, every podcaster has these issues. Mm -hmm. Most people catch it before they freaking publish it, but not us. Yeah. That's, I mean, we've said this a million times. We don't edit. So yeah, we don't edit. We just, we, you get us raw, you and get us raw and filtered <laughs> whether you like it or not. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Take three. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is the suspended sentence. <laughs> She's so perky. I'm like, I don't even want to say this. I'm trying to be positive. Okay, this is the story of Shelly Mina Dashkis Danish Gifts. Oh my gosh. Starting you can think strong. after the third time she knows how to Dan say it. Danish Shifiski. Yeah. I mean you only have to say that name. Jeez. Like once, so it's fine. I'm just going to call her Shelly, okay, y'all? Shelly. Yeah. She was born on July 13th, 1962 to parents Joel, who was a butcher and a rabbi, and her mother, who was a homemaker. The couple had three other children, Philip, Eve, and Josh. At three years old, Shelly was burnt by boiling water that left permanent scars on her neck and her chest, which she was very, very self-conscious about her entire childhood. So she would wear like long sleeve shirts all the time to cover it because she was so self-conscious about it. Yeah. She suffered from binge eating, a binge eating disorder as her way to cope with those insecurities, which led to significant weight gain, um, which added to her level of self-consciousness. Her academics suffered and she was not as successful in school as her siblings were. But in college, she really focused on her weight and she did lose a lot which increased her confidence and her success. She dated quite a bit in college, but nothing of real significance. After college, after she graduated from college, her father encouraged her to go into finance, which she did. Okay. She took a job at UBS with one of her brothers, and she quickly became very successful in wealth management. It was here that she met a man who was 11 years younger than she was by the name of Roderick Kovlin. They met at a Jewish singles event. She was 35. He was 24. Rod was a stock trader and a professional backgammon player. Who the hell's backgammon? I don't fucking know. 
When they met, <laughs> when they met though, they were so smitten by each other that they wanted to like elope that night. The only reason that they didn't was because Eve, Shelley's big sister, and her best friend advised against it. But just a couple months later, they did get married. They I mean, would. I guess if you know, when you know, you know. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to have good commentary right now. I. <laughs> they would have a daughter named Anna two years into their marriage. Shelley was an amazing mother. She and Anna were inseparable. A while later, they conceived twins. Shelley was over the moon about this. But the twins were born prematurely, and sadly, they passed away. Shelley would not be able to bear any more children after this. She wanted another child so bad, though, and that loss was so significant to her that, that she conceived another child by donor egg. Okay. This was a very costly experience. During the majority of this marriage, Rod had intermediate work, and she was the breadwinner by all accounts. She did very, very well financially for their family, and this treatment, again, was very, very costly. She paid for it. Yeah. Um, and this treatment did result in their son, Miles, who was born in 2006. Rod and Shelley's marriage somehow went from wonderment, though, to absolute hell. Rod refused to get a real full-time job, went to the gym twice a day, and just laid around the house spending Shelley's money. Mm, okay, love to see it. Rod also turned very verbally abusive to Shelley, oftentimes telling her he can't even have a child. What a fucking dick. Yeah, yeah. And that, she can. She has one, and she gave you twins. They just right. passed. Right, right, Um. But he would be like, you can't, even have a tw- you can't even have babies. Miles isn't even yours. Like, he was a dick. He was an asshole. And he even took that a step further, though, and would taunt Miles, telling him that Shelly wasn't even really his mom. Okay, so stand-up guy. Right. Shelly also began having an affair with a woman named Barbara Oles. Shelly did? Not Shelly, Rod. I'm sorry. Like, oh, man. Thank you. <laughs> Go, girl. Getting a little freaky. Right. No, no, Rod did. Rod, because he didn't have anything freaking better to do. He just sat around all day, just went to the gym, dick, and so right. Might as well put it to use. Right. Oh, oh that man. was a good punchline. Damn. Jesus, Samantha. <laughs> so he meets Barbara Oles. She is a married mother of three. Oh, fantastic. And where did they meet? Backgammon tournament. Oh, I didn't say that before. No. <laughs> Worse. Backgammon tournament. I don't even know what that is. Anyway. So Rod, after 10 years of marriage, tells Shelly, hey, let's have an open marriage. Mm. I'm, he doesn't want to leave the money, but he doesn't want to like right. be with her anymore. He wants to be with everybody, apparently. She's like, yeah, no, absolutely not. That's not what I signed up for. We have children. We have a family. We have a life. No, I don't want to do that. And no, you're not going to do that. But she works all the time, and so he just goes and does whatever the fuck he wants, right? Literally. So one night, after Rod comes home early, one morning, smelling like a woman's perfume, Shelly finally had had enough and told him to get out. Good for her. She wants a divorce. But, but she didn't want the kids to suffer. Okay. So wanting him to stay close to the kids for an easy transition for them, she got him, because he's broke ass, she got him an apartment across the hall from theirs. Hmm. So she changes the locks on her luxury upstate apartment in Manhattan, and they were officially in separate spaces. 
how much that probably freaking cost her? A ton of money. Absolutely. And she's paying his way and he's not working. Cute. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what. Yeah, what a, what a man. What a man. Now, Rod now realizes that not only is he losing his wife and complete all the time access to his children, but now he's losing access to the money. To her bank account. Like, yeah, she's paying for your upscale luxury apartment, but... I mean, she's not going to buy you groceries and pay for your gym membership and, you know, pay for dates for you to go out with right. other women, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he had really gone, like, grown accustomed to having whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. And now, with the exception of Shelly funding his apartment, right, he was completely cut off. So he wants her back. Of course he does. Of course. And she wanted absolutely no part of that at all. Blame her. She's like, no, you made your choice. Now go. Get be gone, which fucks with his psyche a little bit, right? Yeah. So now he begins watching her apartment, hacking into her email and checking it, following her, watching her every single move. And what he saw now, <laughs> now that he wasn't there holding her back is that her success was absolutely skyrocketing. She was gaining more clients and climbing the ladder of ultimate power and success at work. He also noticed that men were drawn to her, that she really wasn't this piece of shit, worthless fucking whatever that he was telling her that she was, that she was actually pretty cool and men saw that and men wanted to be with her. Yeah. He became absolutely obsessed with destroying her. That seems healthy. He calls her work and told them that she was doing drugs and stealing their money. Her employer, I mean, they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it's an allegation, so we've got to look into it. So her employer drug tests her, and duh, she's clean. She's not. But it created, like, some pretty significant drama in her workplace. Which is, like, almost as bad. Right, yeah. Like, nobody wants to be that girl at work. Especially a powerful woman in a man's business. Absolutely. Um, but she actually got promoted. Oh, okay. Get it, girl. Absolutely. That that goes to show like how bad like, she is. Regardless of what was going on at home and in her personal life, like the bitch freaking showed up and freaking I mean, killed it. And she did great. I just called her a bitch like she was my girlfriend. Yeah. A bitch, got it. She did though. Like she she owned it. Yeah. She didn't let it hold her down or anything. Um so she becomes VP. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. She does great despite everything that everything that he's trying to do to her. But that just makes him more desperate. Right? So he becomes so desperate to hurt her that he went as far as to take their three year old son to the emergency room and made him tell them that Shelly was sexually abusing him. Oh, cute. Okay. Love that. That investigation also ended very badly for Rod. Okay. The courts now get involved because that's what happens when you take a three-year-old to the hospital and say somebody's sexually abusing them is social services and DFS or CPS or whatever get involved and open a case. The court gets involved and the courts did that. And for doing this, Rod now has to have supervised visitation only with his children. I mean, yeah. Right. So in the midst of a bitter, intense divorce and custody battle now, right, Shelly is like, okay, I probably need to handle this money thing. Like this isn't, there isn't going to be a reconciliation. So she changes her 401 beneficiaries to her children rather than Rod at work, 
obviously. Yeah. And then she sends her an attorney an email asking him to change her will out of his name just to the children. Right, which, I mean, is a normal thing post-divorce. Absolutely. But she also adds a line in there that says that she's really beginning to be afraid that Rod is going to kill her. Because he's just taking things to a level that's like... To a completely different level. Right. Like, dude, you're the one that was cheating. You're the one that was doing this. And now we're getting divorced. I'm giving you what you want. And now you're trying to destroy me. Like, what? What do you want? Like, just go away, right? Like, be done. Right. wanted to be done, be done. Right. She requested in that email to make her children her sole beneficiary of her over $5 million estate. Oh, shit. And take Rod completely off of it. Again, a normal thing to do. Absolutely. Do, do, do. Two days later. Okay. It's 7.04 a.m. on December 31st, 2009, when nine-year-old Anna Kovlin frantically calls her father on the phone. The little girl had just found her mother face down in the bathtub full of bloody water. Oh, man. He rushes across the hallway into their home and he pulls his wife's lifeless body out of the bathtub and begins performing CPR. He calls 911 and they instruct him to continue CPR while help is on the way. But it will do no good. The millionaire has been dead for hours. Police and ambulance arrive four minutes after the 911 call for is placed. For a big city, that's quite the like turnaround time. Right. She had scratches on her face, cheeks, and a small purple bruise on the bottom of her lip. One of the closet cabinets in the bathroom was partially off the hinges, you know, like as though somebody had grabbed it and pulled it like halfway off. Yeah. The medical examiner immediately wanted an autopsy done, but because of her Jewish background, the family opposed it for religious reasons. Right. Um, and they believed that it was an accident, that she had tripped and she had fallen. And that's why the cu- the cupboard was off the hmm. was off the wall, halfway off. The medical examiner, however, believes that she was killed. Yeah, and he spoke to the chief medical examiner three different times, trying to get him to overrule the family's wishes, but he was unsuccessful. And she was buried twenty four hours after her death. Oh wow! Yeah, I think they have to have like quick burials. Yeah, but the medical examiner would not give up. He placed enough doubt in the family's mind that they actually hired a private investigator who collected all kinds of evidence, such as her, such as her eyes were bloodshot, the fact that Shelly didn't take baths, particularly because the day before she had gotten a carotene hair straightening treatment. Mm. It's like some like legally blonde shit there. Right. But when you get those treating those stri- um, straightening treatments, like. You can't get your hair wet. You can't even sweat. Like, you can't... Like She wouldn't be getting in the bathtub. If you don't know what I mean by that, and, like, Lee Blonde, when she's, like, it's a murder victim, and she's, like, I just got a perm, and then I was in the shower, and she's, like, yeah. really? Because if you just got a perm, you weren't washing your hair because your treatment wouldn't work. So right. you, a woman wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and now it is two months later. And finally, her body is exhumed and the autopsy is done. The result shows that her hyoid bone in her throat had been broken. She had been strangled. This is now a homicide. 
but it's been two months, two months since the police first said that it was accidental death. They did no investigation. They took no fingerprints. They took no DNA. They interviewed no neighbors, nothing. They didn't do anything. They even allowed the family's rabbi to clean the bathroom with peroxide, eliminating any blood evidence. It's religious uh, though. Yeah. Right? And it will take five more years before prosecution prosecutors have enough evidence to prosecute anyone. Wow. Because that much evidence had been destroyed and so little police work had been done. Right. Because if you think it's an accident, they don't... I think that that should be like a standard. I feel like either way you should have to do like an investigation. Oh, me because too. Because you never know. We have so many of these cases where it's like, oh, they thought it was accidental. And then 10 years later, they were like, oh, Oh, actually, maybe it's not. So like, just dust the little area. Just do the work Take in the beginning. Take a couple pictures. Right. Interview some neighbors. Talk right. to some people. Right. So in the meantime, there's still this court order, right, that says that Rod has to have supervised visits with his kids. Next to the shitty human being. Right. So the, so the, the court gives temporary custody of the kids to Rod's parents who lived in New York. Mm. There were strict rules in place of even what communication would look like between the kids and Rod. And his parents agree with the court order, and so they become legal guardians. Now, although Shelly had sent that email to her attorney regarding her will, she died before she could sign any paperwork. But her lawyer immediately files court papers to challenge the will and places Shelly's $5.37 million of assets in a trust until it could be sorted out in court. I think that there should be like amendments to that law too of it came from her personal email but there isn't like, verification of who sent it, even though it is. And he, he, they know that he was getting into her email. Right, but to take He wouldn't do off, that. He wouldn't right. be taking himself off of it. Right, right. He wouldn't say, oh, I think she, he's going to kill me. Right, no. No, but you don't have evidence of who sent the email, yeah, right? Sure. But as the will currently sits, Rod would get half of the money and the other half would be split between the two girls or between the two children. All of this pisses Rod off, all of it. And he continues to be super irrational and honestly, like, downright nasty. Okay. I mean, even more so than... Say, can this guy get worse? Oh, no, he can. He can. He attempted to man- manipulate his parents into giving him the kids, which they refused. He would have outbursts of yelling, calling constantly, harassing the shit out of them. Finally, his parents had to get an actual restraining order to get it to stop. No shit. Yeah. But his main focus was what? The kids. The money. Money. Always money. The money. Money. Mm Mm-hmm. In 2011, Shelly's family actually filed a wrongful death suit against him, claiming that he killed her. I could not find any, like, what happened with that. I don't know what happened with that. But Rod wanted his money so badly that he actually made plans to kill his own parents. Oh, that's a rational right. thing to do. Yeah, he seems sane. Right, because the court's not just going to put him in foster care or put him somewhere else, right? Like, I mean, he's an idiot on so many levels. Yeah. But anyway, what he was going to do was he was going to, he was going to use sugar-laced with rat poisoning. And he had conjured up three separate plots to murder them, including ambushing his own mother, his own mom. Jesus Christ. So his married girlfriend, Deborah, remember mm-hmm. her? Yeah. She picks Rod up one day and, dri- and drives him 
to a Yonkers costume warehouse where he purchased a black man's wig and makeup to pose as an election canvasser. He wanted to drive to his parents' house when he knew his mother was going to be home. And when she opened the door, he was going to karate chop her in the throat and then kill her. Disguised. Like she's not so going to know. is he fucking like karate kid now? Or what the fuck? He was a black belt in... Oh, my, yeah. Okay, you left he, that out. I was he thinking, was. <laughs> my idea of that was way funnier than him. Than <laughs> no, he actually was trained in martial arts. But oh, anyway, okay, Deborah says that she stopped this murder plot by not agreeing to go with him. Because, well, whatever. Murdering his parents wasn't working for him, right? So he resorted back to the same plan that he did before that didn't work for him, that backfired on him, right? He told Anna, who's 10, 10, to accuse her grandfather of rape and instructed her on how to break her own hymen to fabricate proof. I hate this so much. He tells his 10-year-old daughter how to break her own hymen and accuse her father of, or grandfather of raping her. His father. His father. Who's caring for her, who's taking care of her, who's keeping her out of the foster care system, who loves her, who all of this shit just for some money. For money. Yeah. Obviously, Anna is mortified by the idea and she refuses to do it, right? Everything that this man tries to do to get the money is not working for him, which she's is pissing making, him off. Say, she's mm-hmm. making him more mad, right? Right. But the police are watching him. They're following him. They're asking about him. They're building a case against him, and he just keeps giving them more. Mm-hmm. Then this note surfaces. Quote, All of these years, I have been so incredibly afraid and guilty about the night my mother died. I lied. She didn't just slip. That day we got into a fight about her dating. I got mad. So I pushed her. But I couldn't have pushed her that hard. I didn't mean to hurt her, I swear. But she fell. And I I heard a terrible noise. And the water started turning red. And I tried to pull her head up. But she remained still. Unquote. This confession was written in June of 2013. It was in the form of an Apple note that synced to the email address of then nine-year-old Anna. Do nine-year-olds use words like, but she remained still? Not any nine-year-olds that I know. We got in a fight about her dating. I, this, this is not... How a child, right? This is not how a... I have a 10-year-old. My 10-year-old would be like, yeah, that dude came over and I was pissed. You know what I mean? Like, they don't use words like this. They don't... It was not her. It was not her. And apparently this was enough for the police. Like, everybody had had enough of this man with that note. And he was finally arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Hmm. two months before he would have inherited half of his wife's fortune, which would have been two and a half million dollars. Jesus Christ. Trial begins. Okay. Jurors were shown gruesome crime scene photos of Shelly's nude body on her bathroom floor with her long blonde hair soaked with blood. Shelly is positioned on her back with her left arm covering her left breast. Okay. 
Her eyes are closed, her mouth is slightly open, and there are bright red scratches on her face. A comforter covers her legs and a pair of maroon pants is balled up near her head. A child's training potty floats in the tub, which is still half filled with blood tinted water. Did you get a visual there? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know about you, but if my kid's piss-filled training potty <laughs> I'm not is in the bathtub, that bathtub is thoroughly cleaned. I don't care that you're putting water or whatever, soap, whatever. And there wouldn't be a floating potty still in the bathtub if I'm about to take a relaxing bath. No. No. So, red flag one. Fire department... From New York, Lieutenant Matthew Casey testifies in court that he and other firemen were the first on the scene after responding to the 911 call. Okay. He said that she had been dead a while. Another firefighter, William Ricks, told jurors that, quote, he grabbed her by the wrist and tried to pull, it, pull her away, but the wrist was locked. So she's in rigor mortis. Mm-hmm. Rod told arriving police officer William Irwin that his daughter found her mom in the tub and ran to his apartment across the hall where he had been living, right? So did she call or did she go over there? Right. Right? Rod said that he pulled Shelly from the lukewarm water, covered her with a comforter, and then performed CPR. Wait, wait, wait. There's more. (laughs) Assistant DA Matthew Bogdanus asked Irwin whether he had noticed anything unusual about Rod's clothing. And he said, yes, they were dry. They were completely dry. He said that Rod was wearing a white t-shirt and a pair of sweats, which had no blood whatsoever on them. Okay, red flag number two. Okay, so if we're in such bad rigor mortis that her wrists aren't moving, the rest of her body is locked up too. Correct. So it is not possible... For a person mm-hmm. wearing a white t-shirt and a pair of probably gray sweatpants. All guys wear gray sweatpants. That's I know. Another topic for another day. Pulling her out of a pool of water isn't going to be... You'd, it would be hard to get her out of the... Out. It'd be hard. And you would be covered in blood and water because and... Because you would... It, she'd be so stiff. You would have to, like, pick her entire being up. It wouldn't be, like, pulling her out really easy. No. Also, and in addition, from You'd the time like the 911 call was made to the time that they were there and in that apartment was four minutes. So in four minutes, he got her stiff body out, covered her, went into her bedroom, I imagine, to get a comforter, came back, did... And performed... Bullshit. Right. Bullshit. Calming your daughter down. I mean, the the whole, all of it. Like, no, because that kid had to be hysterical. Right. Right? Okay, so anyway, on uh, cross-examination, defense lawyer grilled Irwin about whether or not he had asked Colvin, Rod, if his clothes were wet or suggested that he take them off for analysis. And he said, no, I didn't. Great. Because... They immediately said that it was an accident, that it wasn't a murder, right? The state called many, many witnesses who testified as to what they knew about Shelley and their relationship with Rod. But some of the most daunting testimony came from his girlfriends, Rod's girlfriends. Mm-hmm. On the stand. They have one. No, 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 no. On the stand, though, that Barb said 
that Rod wanted to kill his parents, that two people standing in the way of his children and the money. He had multiple plots, she claimed. First, he schemed to break into the parents' home in the middle of the night, kill them, and take the children and light the home on fire. Then he considered putting rat poison in their tea, for which he would need Anna's help. And she says she talked him out of all of those. But she says, and this is a quote, we were driving in the car and he said to me, you have to help me kill my parents. I refused, adding that if you kill them, you'll kill me too. He said, he, Rod said, quote, no, I only want to kill people who try to take my children from me. The prosecutor also entered into evidence a 2009 letter to Eve, the sister, where Shelley says, quote, oh, no, Eve says, I'm sorry. Eve says, quote, I'm very scared that at some point in the future, all of his anger and rage may result in something very bad happening to you. She writes that to her sister. So like we said, Rod had another girlfriend. Obviously, he has several, right? And she also testified against him in court. And she testified during the trial about his intense rage. Her name was Patricia Swenson. And she testified in court that he told her that he wanted to kill his wife or have her die before Shelley died. Cute. And all throughout this trial, his parents fucking stood behind him. Even after hearing all these plots that he was going to kill them? As did his kids. I hate this so much. Both of the kids asked for leniency in their father's case during the sentencing. Miles was 12 at the time of the hearing and he told the Supreme Court, quote, please give him a light sentence so I can have him back in my life. I love him so much. He said that he believed that his father was innocent, as did Anna, who also asked the judge for a lighter sentence. The judge, though, was completely unmoved and disturbed by Rod's lack of remorse and emotion whatsoever during the trial. When she gave him a chance to speak, this is what he said, quote, Luckily, my daughter, who was there that night, knows the truth. She's the only one who could, unquote. Luckily, luckily, my daughter was there. Luckily, my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, found her dead mom. Luckily. What kind of father says that? Seriously. Luckily. I, I hate this man. I hate this case. The jury deliberated for almost two days. Why? What took you so long to figure out? Right. Almost two days before coming back with a guilty verdict. At least there's that. Right. Shelly's family all holding on to each other in the courtroom, all of them in tears, obviously. When the verdict was read, Rod hung his head and closed his eyes. The first ounce of almost emotion shown in nine years. Right. A month after his second-degree murder conviction, which was in March of 2019, Rod was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, which is the maximum sentence. He is serving his sentence in the Green Haven Correctional Facility, where he was admitted on May 6, 2019. State records show that the early, earliest he is eligible for parole is May 2040. He maintains his innocence... Of course. course he does. They always do. Yep. He has appealed multiple times, and each time the application is denied. Good. The kids 
lead mostly private lives and seldom publicly speak about their mother's death. Anna, like I said, supported her father when his legal team challenged his conviction. And in 2022, she wrote a letter to the district attorney's office stating the following, quote, my mother's death was a tragic accident. I think about it every day and it will forever weigh on my heart, but there's nothing that can be done. She's gone. I have to live with it and learn to accept it. But I have another father, a loving, kind, creative, caring, hardworking father, unquote. Anna also says, though, quote, I was in my mother's apartment and my father was not there until I unlocked the door in the morning. New York State took away my dad's freedom. My dad is not a murderer. Anna also shares her version of events from the day her mother died and sincerely defends Rod's actions. Now she's in her 20s and she has seemingly changed her name but still resides in the same place and works as a gymnastics coach. Miles is still a minor and prefers to stay away from the public eye. He likely still lives with his grandparents and sister. Nevertheless, both siblings stand in their support of their father and hope that his imprisonment will end soon. It's so sad because... <laughs> For so many reasons. Like, I get it. Sure. Okay, so in their brains, they're like, they were really young. They're probably like, we've lost... They've, they've lost both of their parents. You bet. They have. Even though Rod's a fucking flaming pile of shit. Absolutely. That I hope gets rectal cancer and dies. Mm-hmm. But a painful, slow, painful death. Absolutely. Um... <sighs> There was, I don't have words. I don't I know. have words. There was one point that he had a plot to have Anna fake kidnapped. He would kidnap her and made arrangements to sell her in Mexico for the, the money that she inherited. Like, he's a piece of shit. But I also, I also wonder, like... We don't know how much brainwashing went on. Absolutely. We don't know. Absolutely. Memories are so, especially with children, memories are so um, impressionable. Yeah. But it's heartbreaking because it kind of, it diminishes like their mother. Absolutely. But at the same time, like I, in a fucked up way, I get it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, fuck. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I still hope he gets rectal cancer. <laughs> that story like i <clears throat> it's horrible like not only did he cheat on her was abusive to her then killed her and after just beautiful. trying to oh yeah she, after trying to destroy her life then he kills her then he tries to frame his own kid tries, tries to, to kill his, his parents both of his kids to say that they're being molested and raped right i mean this guy is like the ultimate so I tried to diagnose him, mm-hmm. which is so not fair to do. And I shouldn't, you, sh- you can't do that because it's all one-sided information, right? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't diagnose him, but I did try. Oh, your theories. Um, narcissist, narcissist, obviously, mm-hmm. because of his lack of remorse and, and just like feeling towards anybody or empathy towards anybody, including his family. Then I thought maybe like above the skyline for antisocial, um, which probably is true, but he didn't have 
like the brain capacity to follow through on any of it. Yeah. So, I mean, usually antisocial people are smart and they know how to carry it out. Um, I mean, maybe like a personality disorder, but this is the bottom line. Like, I think that some people are just fucking pieces of shit. Just shitty people. And his sense of entitlement and like, he really is just acting like a spoiled fucking brat. Yeah. She was way too good for him. And she took way too good of care of him. Yeah. And she is like, like we'll post pictures, but I mean, she's, she's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. Oh Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And he's, I mean, a vile, disgusting human if being. Anna and Miles would like to talk to us, we would love to talk to you, like for real. Um, but I'll keep my opinions to myself. Yeah. Um, but they are, I mean, absolutely horrific story. It's so sad. So sad it's in so, so sad. many ways. So many ways. And his parents. Okay, I can get the kids. I can understand the kids. I don't understand the parents. Right. Yeah, and just that they thought that everybody, everybody was lying about their son. Not one person, not two, not three. Multiple people got up there and was like, he has plots to murder you. Right. Their own granddaughter. I mean, they, everybody chooses him over everything else. Over common sense, over, I mean, everything else. It's absolute, it's wild. That man is, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know vile and clearly like they had to have understood like the parents too because like they got a restraining order against him so they knew he was a little fucking crazy they had to have you as a parent aren't just like i think i need to get a restraining order because he's acting pretty crazy unless you know he's kind of fucking crazy i don't know parents can make a lot of excuses for a lot of bullshit i suppose i don't know not me man okay i swear to everything good in this world if this fucking episode doesn't come out i'm burning this house to the ground okay. we're not gonna do it again we're not recording it again i will burn your if house it, down if it doesn't you're, you're not gonna burn my house down like, i mean I'll make, sure, I'll make sure you guys are out yeah, of that's the house what he wanted to do i will you, burn your house you just, down. i will go rod on your ass and fucking poison your tea your starbucks no if it doesn't post this time clearly we're not supposed to tell the story Literally. i don't know i don't know well thanks for joining us guys thanks guys stay safe